This is the Frontier Podcast, powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. Amir Rubin co-founded Paracosm in 2013 with a mission to 3Dify the world. Since then, he's led the company through a total conversion from fun, visionary consumer product to critical B2B enterprise solution. What started as an idea to 3D map the world for experiential AR turned into a technology and approach that saves enterprise customers weeks of work every day. Ledge sits down with Amir to see what it was like emotionally to transition from a visionary 3D world mapper to getting measurements inside buildings for industrial purposes and how to grow in the CEO function when you've come from an engineering background. Hey Amir, it's great to have you on, man. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Ledge. I'm excited to be here. So can you give your, you know, two, three minute background story yourself and your work, how you got where you are? Sure. Um, You know, my name is Amir Rubin and I am a co-founder and president of the Paracosm division of Occipital. And we we were acquired by Occipital um, a year and a half or two years ago, somewhere about there. And we were founded in 2013 with uh, the mission to... 3Dify the world, what we like to call it. Um, and uh, my background is as a computer engineer. I graduated from University of Florida, and um, I started my first company during my senior year, actually. Uh, we, I started a, a UAV company with friends, and, and we, we decided it'd be really cool to build a um, vision-guided uh, UAV. And, you know, we it, it was major learning experience, but we were a bit ahead of the, of our time. We actually, this was back in 2003, 2004. So we, um, we, we built some cool, um, cool prototypes, uh, learned a lot, but you know, the, 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 the company lasted quite a while too. My first startup, um, uh, it just actually kind of finally kicked the bucket, uh, you know, a few months ago. So it had a good like 15 year run. And, um, and uh, after working on vision-based, you know, navigation for drones, um, I actually left my own startup, um, like in 2009, 2010, and helped found another company um, uh, in in Gainesville, you know, with, with other University of Florida researchers that that was doing 3D uh, nursing and healthcare simulations, and then uh, and then in 2013, I, I had a had a dream one night where I was like, oh wait. Um, what if we were able to combine computer vision techniques to, to create 3D maps of the whole world? And I uh, founded a Paracosm to, to, to make that happen. <laughs> yeah. So off mic, you and I were talking about, you know, sort of how that vision of, you know, 3D, 3Difying everything, you know, morphed from, you know, whimsical, maybe consumer thought process to, you know, B2B enterprise. I'd love to take that path, both in the concept and, and on and the technology trail that got you there. Sure, sure. The, you know, the concept of Paracosm was how can I um, 3D map like really fun places to let, you know, uh, let people, ex- you know, visit like um, and explore new, 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 uh, new environment. So for example, my wife and I, my girlfriend now wife were 
backpacking in Europe. And I was like, how cool would it be to 3D map this castle so all of our friends can visit here? And, and you know, kind of the idea of Paracosm when we first started was this whimsical concept to be able to turn all these fun places in the world into a video game level. And then we were like, well, what if we also turned your home into a 3D, you know, model of your home, a 3D video game of your home could let your, you know, your home robot navigate your house really well. And it could let your augmented reality headset, um, you know, play really immersive video games, you know, in your couch. And it could, by mapping a castle, we could, you know, have people virtually visit the castle or we can do all sorts of augmented reality experiences, historical, you know, visualizations of what life was like, you know, looking through a headset. And so we had all sorts of um, very ambitious ideas that we thought 3D mapping environments would would enable. But similar to my first UAV company, this was in 2013, we were way too early on both the robotics, AI, and augmented reality front to 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 really uh, get the, the traction we were looking for. Um, we, we did have a lot of early, you know, partnerships, you know, we, we partnered with Google in 2013 and helped them develop uh, the, what, what, what became the Project Tango smartphone. We contributed a lot of code to the 3D mapping engine for that. Um, we, we ended up partnering with iRobot on some of their, um, uh, you know, uh, early Roomba initiatives for, for mapping back in 2013, 2014. We were actually their first corporate investment, but ultimately the, the overall market was just so early and what ended up happening is um, we got picked up by some 3D like, uh, like scanning blogs, some of our early work that we did with Tango and, and iRobot and stuff, and uh, uh, you know, geospatial surveyors and mechanical engineering contractors and construction, um, uh, you know, uh, VDC, virtual design construction managers, started contacting us. And that's when we kind of realized, you know, maybe our tech can actually be applied to real world problems. And, and we kind of ended up pivoting to, to, to that use case. <laughs> so I need to ask, like, was that ever uh, unwhimsically, you know, kind of disappointing to, for something to become, you know, less about the passionate, you know, make you smile kind of stuff to real world B2B application? What was the like emotional trail there? For when we made the transition uh, um, as a team, it was a very hard emotional transition. Um, so yeah, it, it was hard. Uh, exactly as you said, you know, we were saying, "Hey, um, the whimsy world of 3D for a robot to like serve me my afternoon tea or to have like dinosaurs jumping around my living room." We're replacing that with you know, getting dimensions of conduit and HVAC systems and buildings. So it, it is an emotional transition, but what the, the two things I would say that changed were, um, first we, um, we, we decided, Hey, we don't have to become boring. We're going to bring some of our <laughs> whimsy nature to this industry. So we kept our logo, we kept our tagline and we, we, um, we still try to be a little bit silly in this industry, which actually helps us stand out. You know, people see our um, our funky logo, which is a um, you know our, our company name is Paracosm, um, which uh, means an imaginary world. 
paranormal cosmonaut is a uh, or paranormal cosmos is like you know like an imaginary world and our our logo is a parakeet cosmonaut space parakeet so we bring uh, if you look online you can see our, our fun little we you know we we try to bring some of that energy and then the second element is once um people started using uh our tools for 3D mapping real world projects and they people you know our customers are telling us like how it's transforming their businesses, their projects, how they're really starting to rely on our system. And like, you know, when they encounter a bug or, you know, the system crashes, how, you know, we get panicked calls and, you know, that's actually um, started like replacing sort of like this, you know, emotional shock of going from a whimsy fun consumer to a, what's considered kind of a stodgy enterprise. It's kind of started transforming to like this realization, like, wait, we're, we're really helping people do their jobs. Like, you know, people are relying on us to do um, heavy lifting, whether it's surveying a forest, a construction site, you know, uh, a factory environment or uh, an office building survey. Like we're, we're saving, you know, we're, we're, we're saving people, you know, weeks of work with our new technology and we're letting them do things they haven't done before. And we, we hear from all of our customers and that's actually um, you know, once, once we actually started shipping and, and having like fanatical users, then now it's really exciting again. <laughs> it it, it yeah, adds right. a new I mean, layer of meaning. Yeah. The reach of a business is so much more dramatic than, uh, you know, if I'm mapping my house, right. You know, like there's, there's hundreds of people that are touching an install. So I, I could totally see how that would, would start to really develop on the relationship front as well. So what's, what's the technical path from like, oh, hey, we thought we were going to be consumer and now we're B2B enterprise. There's got to be a whole bunch of speed bumps, learnings and other opportunities in there. Yeah, yeah. And on, on the technical front, when we were um, on consumer side, you know, we were using the equivalent of like, for example, Microsoft Connect to do our 3D imaging. And then, you know, it's an off-the-shelf hardware that we clipped onto a tablet or a phone and so the text app is effectively was like a lightweight uh, I think we were running you know our stack on Android or tablets and and when Microsoft you know surface tablets on Windows and most of what the app did was you know a quick hacky kind of visualizations it was uploading data you know AWS cloud and we were you know processing doing all of our heavy lifting on, you know, EC2 instances and, and GPU. And, and um, as we moved to enterprise solutions, you know, we started, you know, having customers, you know, not being able to upload data to a third-party cloud. We have to keep everything local and we need to start, um, you know, doing a lot more processing load um, on our 3D mapping device. And in order to, you know, so we, we had to build a custom hardware device with, um, you know, uh, industrial grade laser sensors. We use LIDARs, uh, the Velodyne LIDARs uh, from self-driving uh, cars um, industry. We built, uh, you know, we interface it to machine vision grade cameras. We have an uh, Intel, you know, and you see Intel NIC uh, embedded computer in there. And we, um, we do all of the processing on like a high performance uh, C++ stack that that uh, runs entirely, you know, on, on our device. 
And, you know, the big difference is, you know, we, we had to replace our, you know, our whole kind of cloud infrastructure with a, a device, a, a totally self-contained device, but we still find some pretty cool uses for, from our, you know, kind of web know-how and, and back in the day, like um, we, we, um, we kind of can, we manage our customers as a fleet of kind of IOT devices almost. So what's actually happening is each one of our devices is um, running a, a um, like I, I, we use actually resin.io and we, we um, you know, we're, we're a proud customer of theirs and we, um, we run a Dockerized, um, you know, uh, app. So what we actually, ha uh, it's a, our app is a completely contained, you know, Docker container, you know, running, um, I forget which version of Linux, but whenever we need to send out a software update, we, we send out a new image to, to all of our uh, users. So you're a CEO founder that grew out of the engineering function. You know, we talked to a lot of CEOs that come out of maybe sales and marketing. I was just wondering, like, what's, what's your experience been, you know, moving through engineering to having to run a company? I think, you know, like founders, particularly on the technical side, maybe, you know, struggle with that a little bit. And so do, do I want to get into business per se? Or do you know, do I want to be an engineer forever? You know, how do you, how do you do that? How do you toe that line? Yeah, it, it really, I think it really, it's a, uh, depends on the nature of the business. Uh, sometimes the answer is you can't. Um, if, if the nature of the business is that you really are passionate and uniquely positioned to be the technical um, innovator and the technical, um, the CTO effectively, then perhaps the right move is to, to be the CTO and, and take you know, ownership of the technical leadership and, and product vision um, uh, you know, maybe some people, um, that's, you could find a better CTO and, and, it, and you can take over the business, but, um, it, it, in order to make the transition, I think, um, you know, every, the company, as the company evolves through the stages, you have to, um, evolve with me and so do your co-founders and your senior leadership. So a founding team or a leadership team that worked great for a five person company might start to show cracks in a 20 person company, which that same team might start to crack in an 80 or a hundred person team. And in startups, the, these kind of uh, team transitions can happen as we all know, like very quickly. <laughs> Once you, you know, get an infusion of, you know, maybe it's venture money or your product is uh, starting to do really well. And all of a sudden you, you have to start hiring like crazy to keep up with all the demands. And, it really is a different skill set at every stage of the game. And my advice to people is just like, what are you really passionate about? What are you good at? Cause you can't unlikely that you're going to keep being able to do everything as, as the team grows, you know, leadership might mean being really good at like delegating, you know, kind of executive like strategy and execution. Maybe you're more sales oriented and you want to run the sales team. Maybe, like I said, if you're more technical oriented, you, you should be the CTO or maybe, maybe you're a really great product CEO and you hire out a VP of sales and a VP of engineering and a CTO. Maybe turns out you're a really great people leader and 
you know, you kind of are the glue that holds an executive team together and you just hire really great executives. Um, so it's, it's always a, a question of like what, what you're passionate about and what the company needs for its current stage and future stage of growth, really. So in your own story, you know, what were you and what weren't you in, you know, sort of each of those paradigms and, and how did you come to find that out? Yeah, I mean, for me, I, um, you know, it's a good, it's a good self-reflection question. Um, you know, I would say one of the, uh, you know, one of our strengths, uh, you know, uh, as a team has always been, you know, we've, we, we've always been able to have like a really, um, good, like a product vision and, um, you know, a really good, you know, be able to build intuition, um, of what the product needs to do, uh, based, you know, talking to customers. We've always been good at building, you know, relationships with customers and, and getting the, you know, our, our, um, you know, engineering efforts to, to crank out some, something, something useful. Uh, and so, that's always been like a good strength, you know, uh, me personally, like, um, you know, it's, it's probably more like, uh, I, I don't have any, for example, background in like sales or, or, uh, like marketing. So we, we've, you know, th these are, you know, hire, you know, being able to hire, uh, like people to, um, run sales and, and run marketing operations, uh, is, has always been really helpful. And then as you start taking, investor dollars, you know, investor relations, which again, I'm not, I don't, they investors speak a different language than uh, us, you know, technical minded, uh, you know, engineering background people. They, they speak the language of finance and they speak, you know, language of, you know, uh, board members. And, you know, if you're not able to, or, or not interested in, in maybe learning that language, it's, it's, might be a good idea to hire a CFO or, or to work, you know, with, with other people around that. And so, um, you know, it's been, it's been an interesting learning journey for sure. <laughs> it always is. All right. Last question. You know, what, what's your favorite, funniest, you know, most excellent failure Phoenix rising from the ashes to success story along that journey? Uh, yeah, well, there's, <laughs> there's, um, uh, oh yeah, no, there, I feel like there's many, but, um, we, uh, it was when we were making this transition, uh, you know, from the, you know, to jump onto this, um, uh, and onto like a, you know, heavy duty industrial 3d mapping system. We, we were, we, um, I, I, I took our old system and I, I and I went on site with, a construction company who is really excited to be able to 3d map their construction sites. And I, I took our original system built around like a prime sense, Microsoft connect type camera. And, uh, we tried, you know, they were really excited. They had, they had paid a few thousand bucks for, for this pilot project. And I just could not get a result because the cameras, for example, don't work outdoors and the construction site doesn't have windows. You know, the windows aren't installed, the walls aren't built. And so it's just, you know, uh, it was just, the project was a total disaster. And so, um, we were like, oh, well, we need to, we need to rebuild this using, um, like these, these newfangled LIDARs. 
and the lidars were like really expensive. They're they're um, you know eight or ten thousand dollars, and so we're like, how are we going to afford? You know, at this time we're like, you know, running out of you know money to build prototypes. Like, how are we going to possibly afford this? And so um, I ended up getting in touch with a with a survey company that was so interested in what we're doing. They shipped us a ten thousand dollar lidar unit. Um, in the mail and said, "Hey, make this work. We want it that badly," and we um, we like bolted it with wires to a laptop and camera, and like it was like a total mess of a prototype. And um, we like posted like a picture of it somewhere, and uh, and then uh, uh, like a company in Japan actually ended up seeing it and and buying it from us. So we sold them this system built with another company's lidar in it and they ended up loving it and they're still one of our you know closest uh customers and partners they've been with us uh since you know the really embarrassing prototype days so you know it's uh <laughs> it's the little things you learn along the way that's why i asked that question because yeah. i think everybody forgets like the v.1 days where yeah I mean, it's just this embarrassing pile of garbage, you know, software, hardware, it doesn't yeah. matter, you know, but you, you know, you make it happen. And I think that's, that's the stuff that we forget about, you know, as, as founders who are just trying to scrape it together and become the uh, proverbial overnight success. That yeah. is not, it's yeah. not overnight. It's over many, many nights. Yeah. Many, many. <laughs> yeah. We've been, you know, we're, we're now part of uh, the occipital family, but we've been, you know, we still run our, our group as a, you know, as a product group and, you know, we've been doing it going on six years now. <laughs> Fantastic story. I love it. Amir, thanks for uh, joining us. Really cool to have you on here. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Ledge. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, Head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.